Alright, we'll get our tech stuff running here real quick. And let's see, we'll put our passage up on the screen. We may finish out uh, section 7 today, possibly. Um, or we might get close and finish it next time. Okay, I just did that wrong. Um, give me just a second here. I, I got the... Uh, Got PowerPoint up on our screen, but uh, not on um, Karen's screen, I think. Okay, let me do it properly. Share screen. Do you remember back when Bible study was just a few people sitting around a table studying the Bible? <laughs> Didn't need projectors and sound system and Zoom. And <laughs> But this is good. It's good that we can uh, do this together. Well. Where are we exactly? We are, we are going to start in Zechariah 1. What page do you It's um, the second to last page, I think. Third to last page. Second to last page. Yep. There's a, there's a dark bar across the page, and that's, that's where we're at. I'm yeah. All right. <laughs> good job. I see you've highlighted there. Good, good. Karen, can you see that screen okay? Angels and Satan in the book of Zechariah? Looking good? Okay. Okay, great. Whoops. There we go. All right, Angels and Satan in the book of Zechariah. We have recently looked at uh, some angelic beings in the book of Ezekiel and some in the book of Daniel. We talked last week about uh, what happens with the spirits of the dead. According to Daniel 12, the first uh, clear prophecy of the resurrection of the dead, the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, Righteous for blessing from God, the unrighteous for punishment. Uh, and that's uh, where we wrapped up last time. Zechariah comes in the late 500s BC. So he and his youth may have overlapped with Daniel in his old age, uh, possibly, and in fact, probably. And uh, Zechariah um, receives visions from God that he then shares with the Jewish people who have returned from Babylonian exile back to their homeland. He lives back in the homeland where Daniel lived off in in exile, all his almost all his life, um, all his adulthood. Uh, Zechariah is back in the homeland. The problem in Zechariah's time is that the temple has not been rebuilt, uh, God's temple in Jerusalem, and Zechariah and the prophet Haggai together uh, work to encourage the people of Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild God's temple. And so we'll hear a little bit about that. Uh, we'll hear about. Two leaders in Judah at this time and in Jerusalem, the high priest uh, Joshua, or your Bible might say Jeshua, it's spelled both ways, and the governor Zerubbabel, which is a great name. You want to impress your friends, just start talking about Zerubbabel. And when you can say that you know, real fast five times, then they're just stunned, and it's great. Uh, so Joshua and Zerubbabel, we'll hear about them in just a minute. Uh, Zechariah has visions that are a lot like what John sees in Revelation. There is some very interesting similarities there. And so you'll recognize 
some of the style of the uh, prophecies, uh, the visions that Zechariah receives uh, that then become the prophecies that he writes down uh, on God's behalf for the Jewish people. Okay, so with that, let's start in Zechariah 1, verse 7. Is the screen on there? What's that, darling? When I was doing my homework. Mm-hmm. Look at that date. And that's Thanksgiving Day to us. So, yeah, the 24th of every month. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just wonder if they knew, you know, they, they did a lot of our holidays around pagan things. Mm. But Thanksgiving Day was never there in the pagan days. Uh-huh. But here it is, 11th month. The 11th month. But their 11th month was different from ours. Uh, so it's a different time of year for them. So probably springtime, uh, although Jews today start. Oh, so so their their first month was in the spring, right around uh, our Easter time, uh, maybe a couple weeks before Easter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So their their eleventh month would have been like February or January, something like that. So yeah, so the Jewish calendar starts at a different time of year than ours. You know. When the Bible says it, I'm going to sit there and say, yes, that's November. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it says 11th month, uh-huh. the 24th. Yeah. Yeah. It's their 11th month, yeah. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> so frustrating, right, when they use a different calendar than we do? Yeah. How come they didn't use the right system? But. Okay. But that is how it starts, right? So... Uh, Zechariah 1, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. During the night, I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, What are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, How long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking with me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these? He answered me, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, What are these coming to do? 
He answered, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, Where are you going? He answered me, To measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. All right. Interesting uh, series of visions, sequence of visions for uh, Zechariah. Okay. So to begin with, in that 11th month, uh, at night, as, uh, presumably while he's asleep, he has uh, a vision. And the first thing he sees is a man mounted on a red horse. Okay, where have we seen people on horses in visions before? Revelation. Revelation. Do you remember what the scene was where we saw the, the people on horses in Revelation? It's been a while. Remember, those, uh, remember the scroll with the seals? And when uh, Jesus opens the first four seals on the scroll, uh, the horsemen of the apocalypse, as people call them, come into view. Uh, one of the living creatures will say, Come, and this horse and rider come in, and they are called by God, sent by God, to bring punishment upon the wicked on earth. Uh, so one after another for them. This is a little different. We have people, a guy on a horse again, but it's a little different. He's not coming to punish anyone at the moment, at least. Uh, he's in a ravine with myrtle trees around him, and there are other horses behind him, red, brown, and white. And Zechariah asks, what are these? It's always good if you ever receive a vision from the Lord. Remember Zechariah? Don't feel bad about asking, what am I seeing, Lord? Um, if he gives you a vision, he wants you to understand it. So it's okay to, to ask. And so he has conversation with uh, the angel who's guiding him through the vision. So the angel says, I'll show you what these are. And then he explains in verse 10, uh, this, is the other, this is the other angel, I suppose, the man standing among the myrtle trees. Uh, he says, the, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. So this is, these are scouts of some sort. Uh, maybe angelic scouts. Um, if, uh, if they're intended to represent actual beings. Uh, and so they report back to the angel who's standing among the myrtle trees. And they say, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. And that's good, right? Everything's at rest and in peace, two thumbs up. Except in verse 12, it sounds like it's not good. The angel of the Lord says, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? And so this angel cries out to God. Everything's at rest and at peace in the world. But all is not right in Judah. God has not given them mercy yet. Okay, little background. Somewhat earlier, uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, had foretold that Judah's punishment would last 70 years. And so uh, there are a couple of ways to count that. Um, one is from 609 B.C. to 539. And so by that count, 
the first time the Jews are exiled from Jerusalem during the ministry of Jeremiah. They're actually exiled to Egypt and then Babylon exiled some Jews three times later on. Uh, from that first exile to when the Jews are first allowed to come back home is 70 years. Uh, another way to count that is from 586 B.C. to 516 B.C. 586 is when the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. 516 is when it was rebuilt. Uh, the rebuilding had, had begun 20 years before that, uh, in 536, if I remember correctly, with the foundation of the temple being laid, but then the rebuilding process was stopped by um, uh, opponents of the Jews in that region, and it was another 20 years before they were permitted by, uh, by the king of Persia to finish rebuilding the temple. So either way you count it, from exile to the return from exile, or from destruction of the temple to the rebuilding of the temple, either way it's 70 years. And so in the early part of that, um, going with the exile count, probably, uh, Zechariah sees this vision in which an angel calls out to God, look, the whole world's at peace, but Judah's still a mess. Things are not right in Judah. Why have you not shown your mercy to Judah? You've been angry with them for 70 years, which is a reminder to God, you said it would be 70 years. It's kind of like uh, a little kid gets in trouble, you put him in the corner, and you say, you have to stay there for five minutes. And if he can see a clock, he knows when the five minutes is up, right? And he starts saying, can I come out now? Because five minutes is done. And so, so this angel is pleading on behalf of the Jewish people, asking God for mercy. Which brings up a really interesting thought. Imagine that you're going through a really hard time. You may not have to imagine, right? Um, or imagine the church is going through a hard time. There may be angels that work with us, that watch over us, that cry out to God on our behalf. I don't know for sure, but it's possible. Here an angel cries out to God on behalf of Israel, on behalf of the Jews. What's that? Then we do have guardian We might. We could. We could. It's a distinct possibility. I kind of lean towards saying we do, but, I, but Scripture isn't, uh, isn't quite clear enough for us to be... You know, just really bold about saying that. But isn't it an interesting thought that, that uh, an angel could ask God and say, Help! Angels can pray. They, they don't pray quite the same way we do because we pray to a God we cannot see. They pray to God whom they can see. And, and whatever that's like for them. I don't know what that's like when you're uh, a, a, an entirely spiritual being and not physical too. But they can cry out to God. And they do in the book of Revelation sometimes as well. But here we see it in, in Zechariah 1. Kevin, yes? Could the Holy Spirit do that for us? Uh, the Holy Spirit does cry out to God, according to, first, uh, according to Romans 8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So Karen, Mary Jo was, was asking, uh, couldn't the Holy Spirit cry out to God for us? And uh, uh, she pointed out uh, the Holy Spirit probably has priority over the angels. Yeah, I think so. Uh, when the Holy Spirit speaks, you know, that's the Spirit of God uh, speaking to the Father. And so um, he certainly hears, hears that. So uh, if angels do cry out on our behalf, that's great. We have something even better, which is uh, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and that's Romans 8 for that, uh, uh, that text. Kevin, what yes. is that? It, this confused me when I read it. You wasn't there to answer me at all. I am jealous for Jerusalem mm -hmm. and Zion, and I'm angry with the nation 
because they overdid their, their punishment. Yeah. Why does he use the word jealous? Again, misinterpretation, isn't it? Oh, uh, God, God can be jealous in a good way. Let's say some other not so lovely young lady comes along, tries to steal your husband away. You would be jealous for him, wouldn't you? Well, she wouldn't be alive. Exactly right. Exactly right. You would be jealous for your husband and she would not be alive very long. Yeah. And that's how God feels about his people. He's jealous for a people with good jealousy. Um, the way parents are jealous for their children. They're not going to let a stranger walk off with their kid. You know. But it was up to him to, to bring this down upon the people, and yet he thinks that they're being abused too much and too hard. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, God uh, says, um, verse 15, he's very angry with the nations that feel secure. He was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. So what he's saying, and this is echoed in, in a couple other places in Scripture too, the Babylonians in particular, uh, they uh, were given power by God to conquer the Jews because the Jews had committed all kinds of sin, especially worshiping other gods. And God said, you've broken my law too much. I will not defend you anymore. In fact, I'll bring enemies against you. And uh, so that was their punishment. But the Babylonians took that punishment too far. So they became haughty. They treated the Jews very cruelly. They went further with the punishment than God wanted them to. And so God is angry with these nations that feel secure, that have gone too far with the punishment. Zay? Okay. I've got a problem here. Mine says, I am jealous for the jealous. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Zealous and jealous are two different things in English, right? Yeah. But they're very similar concepts. Uh, and often in the scriptures, I know this is true in Greek, I'm not so good at Hebrew, but apparently in Hebrew too, uh, judging by these translations, those, uh, those two words can come from the same word in the other language. So in Greek, the word for, uh, for jealousy is also the word for zealousness. You know, it's both zeal and jealousy are very similar ideas. So jealous in English usually means I want it for myself. Where zealous means I'm excited, I'm eager, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to be diligent at this. But they're very similar emotions. Um, so, e yeah, either one, I think, would work there. Uh, so if God is jealous for his people, it means that he wants them back to himself. If he's zealous for his people, it means he cares about them deeply and he's going to work hard for them. Very similar concept, yeah. Isn't that a fun one? <laughs> if in doubt, go with your translation. Richard? Do you know how time-wise where this would be in connection with the time of Esther? Yes, uh, Esther comes in the um, 480s is what sticks in my head. Maybe it's 470s right in there. So this is about 50-ish years before Esther, give or take. I was just trying to think, make some figured out what's going on with yeah. Yeah, a lot of them are settled in Babylon and will stay there uh, indefinitely. Um, some have spread out to other places, Egypt, and, and uh, really throughout the uh, uh, region of the Babylonian Empire uh, and beyond. They they really scattered when Jerusalem fell. So, but it could be that at this time, 
they're at peace also. Mm -hmm. Maybe not at peace with God, but life's not bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. That would be true of a bunch of them, yeah. Yeah. For the ones who have moved back to Jerusalem, there would still be trouble. You know, Jerusalem won't have its walls built until Nehemiah's time, which is just a little after Esther, if I remember right, 450s or so. Um, they're surrounded by other peoples who are oppressive toward them or, or just antagonistic toward them. Uh, so it wasn't easy being a Jew coming back to the homeland. Yeah. Good question. Bring that into context there. Okay, Mary Jo? Yeah, right. So Ezra and Nehemiah both come a little bit after Esther, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, about, uh, about the middle of the 400s, and a little bit before Malachi. Malachi's kind of the tail end of the Old Testament period, and about the 430s is our best guess, although it's really hard to pin that down because he doesn't give us a lot of information to help us date his prophecies. So um, you might think of it this way. Haggai and Zechariah, then uh, about hmm, 30 to 50 years later, Esther, hmm, 10, 20 years later, uh, Ezra and then Nehemiah right after and their contemporaries uh, and then after them um, toward the end of Nehemiah's uh, service as governor in Jerusalem uh, you have the prophecy of, of Malachi and then that closes up the Old Testament period Okay. alright um, so what's God going to do about his frustration with the nations that feel secure uh, that he's angry with in verse 16, he will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there his house will be rebuilt. What is God's house? The temple. In the Old Testament, God's house is the temple. In the New Testament, it's us, because we are the temple of God. The church is the temple of God. Not the building, but the people. Uh, so God's temple, the physical temple in Jerusalem, will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. measuring line has to do with construction and preparation for building. Um, you always measure before you start building. Make sure that you've got your dimensions right and that you have a plan laid out so that what you build will stand. And uh, God's towns, he says in verse 17, will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. And so God's going to bless uh, his people once again. He's going to bless uh, the Jews' capital city and the towns around it. So, Zechariah is uh, hearing from these angels and hearing in this vision that God still cares about his people and he's going to help them. So then uh, in verse 18, he sees these four horns and again he asks the angel, um, what's this about? And the angel says, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. A horn was a symbol of military strength in uh, this culture at this time, uh, coming from you know, an ox, and it's great horns, and uh, it can swing those horns back and forth. Have you ever gone to the fair and seen the, uh, the petting zoo area? and uh, those, um, those cattle, I think they bring them up from Texas or something, they have those really long horns, like three feet long or something. And I just can't believe they leave that cow that close to humans, you know, that people just passing by like me, who might not be looking when the cow swings its head. I mean, that might be the end of me. So I'm always careful around that cow. Uh, those huge, huge, beautiful horns. Very powerful, you know. Don't, don't make that cow mad. Uh, so the horns like that were a symbol of, of military might 
uh, for ancient countries. And so the angel says, these horns are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So these represent the powers that destroyed Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, caused the people there to be scattered. And God is going to undo the power of these horns. Um, verse, uh, last verse of chapter 1, the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. So uh, God is going to undo the power of the people who undid Israel, uh, which is a way of saying God is going to allow Israel to be reformed, um, rebuilt somewhat. And so his, his people are going to resettle in Jerusalem. Uh, they're going to build it up again. You know, Renee's keep always using this picture as words. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't hiding like they did in the New Testament. But it does make you wonder, because these horns are supposed to be representing Assyria, Egypt, Babylonia. Like you said, we have those that came down on them. They just, they just don't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they speak picture, right? Yeah, yeah. What what you said? You said uh, these picturesque things. You know that Zechariah is saying, um, God is speaking to His people in pictures here. That's right. The horses. Well, they're not horses literally. They're actually spirits that are going out into the world to see how things are and to report back to the angel who you know mentions it to God. Um, the horns are meant to represent the strength of nations that have have uh, done harm to the Jews. And God is going to uh, take away their strength. And so, yeah, Zechariah sees God communicating in pictures, which is just like Revelation, right? Yeah, so. everything is pictures. Yeah. Just, like, uh, just like in Revelation, the first part of Zechariah, about the first six chapters or so, you have to read as if you're watching a movie. Um, and if you can see it in your head, then you, you kind of get it. You kind of understand it. Just like with Revelation. Yeah. So in chapter 2... Uh, Zechariah looks up and now he sees a man with a measuring line in his hand. And he asks, where are you going? And the man says, and apparently this is another angelic being, he's going to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. Well, why does he need to know that? It's because God has been prophesying here through the, these angels that Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt, Jerusalem is going to be prosperous, and so the angel is going out to measure in preparation for the rebuilding. Uh, this is God's way of saying, uh, Jerusalem will be uh, prosperous and healthy once again. And so uh, another angel comes in verse 3 and in verse 4 tells the angel who's talking to Zechariah, run, tell that young man, in other words, say to Zechariah, who's going to say to the Jewish people, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. So it's going to be so big that walls, it won't even have walls around all the people. It'll just be too too huge. And I suppose that prophecy has been fulfilled at this point because Jerusalem doesn't have defensive walls today. It's too big. I mean, it does have defenses, you know, anti-missile systems, things like that. But, you know, it's, it's too big for, to put walls around the whole thing. Uh, and God says in verse 5, I myself will be a wall of fire around it and I will be its glory within. And so God's going to protect Jerusalem and he's going to encourage it, glorify it. Uh, he's going to be present there. So when his temple is rebuilt, he'll have a home there, so to speak. Um, and so God will be his, the, the glory within Jerusalem. So lots of good news here for Jerusalem and for the Jewish people. God cares. Uh, he sees what's happened to them and he's going to 
rebuild and restore them. Okay, so that takes us up through chapter 2, verse 5. Any questions uh, or thoughts on that? Before we go to the next part, chapter 3, I think. Okay, let's go to chapter 3. This is fun, Darlene. You'll like this one. (laughs) Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. We don't often see Satan in visions, but sometimes, sometimes in Job, uh, he appears in the book of Job. He's there in Revelation, which of course is a vision. Excuse me. Uh, Here he is in Zechariah 3. So verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Don't you love hearing Satan kind <laughs> of get, get pounded by, by the Lord a little bit? Verse 3, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So Zechariah gets to speak up in the vision. And say, hey, let's give him a clean turban too. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See, the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. This is more good news for the Jewish people. Uh, So Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord in the presence of God, apparently. Uh, Joshua, the high priest, is a real person. He's a high priest of the Jews when they uh, come back to Jerusalem, beginning in 539 B.C. I think the first group actually arrived back in Jerusalem, 537 or so. And Satan, in the vision, is standing at Joshua's right side to accuse him. Now, the word Satan uh, in Hebrew is Satan. Uh, In English, Satan. Satan means adversary. So before it was a name, it was a noun. Uh, And uh, it means adversary. So uh, we could translate this as Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord and adversary, or the adversary, was standing at his right side to accuse him. He's sort of like a prosecuting attorney, only uh, way too effective. He, he, wants to, he wants to convict a little too much. And so he apparently is accusing uh, Joshua of sin, I guess. And Joshua has sin. He's clothed in filthy clothes. And in verse um, 4... He will be told, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. So, you know, in the New Testament, we talk sometimes, um, Paul will talk sometimes about 
being clothed in, in godliness or righteousness. So similar idea here. Joshua is he, he's sinful, he's filthy, and, and God's going to take off his filthy clothes and put on him clean clothes, beautiful garments, uh, holy garments. I wonder if he actually did that. I mean, all of a sudden, there he stood in these dirty, filthy clothes, you know? <laughs> and then the angel takes those clothes away and puts him in purples and robes. Do you think that was just a picturesque, or did it really happen? I, I think it's. Because I think it's just. Was a, forgiven. That was a sign. Yeah. Good. Good question. Did Did he literally get yeah. clean clothes, or or is this just figurative? I think it's just figurative. I hope that God does a mock when He tries to redress me. Right. Yeah. I, he's going to make you look good, darling. <laughs> he's going to make you look really good. Really good. It's amazing. I love this part. Of this. It's pretty good. I love it's neat, isn't it? Yeah. You notice what God says to Satan? Um, we don't know what Satan said exactly, just that he's accusing Joshua. And Joshua is, is guilty as charged. I mean, we all are, you know. And if it weren't for God intervening, Satan would be able to accuse all of us and get us convicted. But God intervenes just like for Joshua, just like he does for us. And he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And so God's basically telling Satan, be quiet. No more. That's enough of that. And then uh, he says, Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Uh, so God is saying, I rescued this guy. I care about him. We're going to use him. So then the angel of the Lord starts uh, cleaning up Joshua, getting him ready to serve God. So he tells those who are standing before him, so apparently there are other angels around in the vision, take off his filthy clothes. Um, and then he says... I've taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. And Zechariah says, um, "Put a clean turban on his head too. Give him a give him a turban because that's you know that's part of proper attire for a for a high priest is uh, the the good uh, beautiful turban. So they do put the turban on his head. They clothe him. The angel of the Lord's watching the whole thing. And then the angel of the Lord tells Joshua in verse seven, "If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house." And have charge of my courts. He's saying this on God's behalf. And I will give you a place among these standing here. So you will be you know, highly exalted. Respected even in the heavenly realms. Uh, and then. Um, let's see. And then God is also blessing. Not just Joshua. But all the people. So in verse 9 he says. He will remove the sin of this land in a single day. So just like he can take away the sin of Joshua. And make him holy. He's going to do that for Jerusalem and Judah. Uh, and then there will be peace. And the peace is represented by, uh, in that day, verse 10, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Uh, having your own vine and fig tree is kind of the Old Testament's way of saying, you'll have your own home, you'll have plenty of food, and you'll be at peace. Right? So uh, God is going... God is, is communicating to the Jews through this vision to Zechariah that he has chosen Joshua the high priest. He is purifying him. He is purifying Israel. And he's going to uh, use Joshua for his good purposes. And he's going to bless the land. And so the Jews will be uh, blessed again after they've uh, suffered a lot for the last few decades at this point. When I was reading this, it, it seemed to me he was like telling them ahead of time that I'm sending you know I'm going to take away your sin on one, this one day like 
this is what Christ was going to do, that he wouldn't have to, um, the sin of the land would be cleansed in a single day. This, that, it was like a foretelling of Christ. Makes you think of Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. So I think this is a, a really good example of, of a possible uh, dual fulfillment prophecy. We get some of these every once in a while. The most famous one is uh, uh, Jesus being born of a virgin. If you go back and read that original prophecy in Isaiah 7, it's really talking about something that will happen within just a couple of years of when Isaiah is speaking. But then Matthew says uh, this Jesus being born from Mary, who was a virgin, fulfills this in an even bigger way than what Isaiah had in mind originally. And so uh, God may be removing the sin of Jerusalem and Judah at that time, but he's going to remove the sin of the whole land in a much bigger way through Jesus later on. Yeah, I think it's a great insight. And God is tremendously clever and creative uh, in, in uh, how he fulfills prophecy. Uh, sometimes, and I think sometimes he uh, he gives us these dual fulfillment prophecies on purpose, um, so that we can look back later from a Christian perspective and see, wow, God went even beyond what we thought He was doing at the beginning. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Anybody else from chapter three here? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's going to do it. He's, he'll do it when Jesus comes. In a, in a moment, you know, in the twinkling of an eye, everything will change. Well, it's so sad even to pick up a newspaper or to look at television. And you can put yourself in these people's place just by what's going on today with us. Uh -huh. And yeah. it's, it's easier to imagine. So, yes, I'm waiting for God to come. Clean it up. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. And in the meantime, you know, in the, in the meantime, he... Uh, uh, he continues to raise up leaders for his people and forgive them and make them holy so they can be a blessing to the people. Um, just, just like he did back then, God continues to do the same kinds of things. More quietly sometimes, maybe more in the background sometimes. <laughs> You're doing a good job, darling. <laughs> Let's take a look at this next section also. You come to me many times when I'm on Facebook trying to. <laughs> I don't, wait a minute, Kevin would like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Good. You, you do just fine, darling. You do just fine. Let's look at um, one more section here. That's probably about all we have time for. And then we'll get into uh, the very last part of, chat, of section seven next time. So, Zechariah 4, now in verse 1, is another. Uh, sequence of visions. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? And I always like it when they say that. And then Zechariah replies, no, my Lord. And I always like that because I don't know what we're seeing either. You know? So it makes me feel like, okay, I'm not, as, I'm not that dumb. Zechariah didn't know either and he was looking at it. No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, 
<clears throat> this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it! God bless it! Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, A flying scroll, twenty cubits long and ten cubits wide. So that's about 30 feet by 15 feet. A cubit is about a foot and a half. Maybe a little more than that. And he said to me, This is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. And according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in that house and destroy it completely, both its timbers and its stones. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, Look up and see what is appearing. I asked, What is it? He replied, It is a basket. And he added, This is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. He said, This is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed its lead cover down on it. Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, To the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. When the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. Chapter 6 now. I looked up again. And there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my lord? The angel answered me, These are the four spirits of heaven, going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going toward the north country, the one with the white horses toward the west, and the one with the dappled horses toward the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, Go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. Then he called to me, Look, those going toward the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. All right, some mysterious, strange visions here. Let's go back and talk through them. All of this is being mediated to Zechariah by an angel. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 1, 
the angel uh, returns to Zechariah, wakes him up like he's being awakened from sleep. So he's sort of fallen into a trance again, it sounds like. Uh, and so the angel gets his attention and asks what he sees. Zechariah sees a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. I think we're supposed to imagine uh, like a Jewish menorah, something like that. So with a, um, a, a stand and then it sort of branches out and has uh, these um, candles on it. You know, that's that kind of lamp. has seven channels to the lamps, so there's some kind of... Um, uh, in a little little tube or something uh, coming down to each lamp to feed it oil so that it's constantly fed oil so it doesn't run out so it can keep burning. There are also two olive trees according to verse 3 one on each side of this bowl the lampstand with the bowl and Zechariah doesn't know what they are so the uh, angel begins to explain and he starts explaining by saying, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Which is to say, what God is going to have you do is not going to be accomplished by might or by power, not human power, but by the spirit of God. That's how it's going to come about. And so, uh, what does God want him to do? We find out in verse 7, Zerubbabel, who is the governor of Jerusalem and Judah at that time, uh, under the Persian king. So he's a Jew in charge of this land, but he reports to the king of Persia. Uh, Zerubbabel is going to bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless him, God bless him. The capstone is uh, that key part of the rebuilding of the temple. And so Zerubbabel is going to oversee the rebuilding of the temple. And that's made more clear in verse 9, where uh, God tells Zechariah, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. That was about 536 B.C., just shortly after the Jews had returned to Jerusalem. They wanted to rebuild it right away, but then they got stopped. Uh, but just as his hands laid the foundation, his hands will also complete the building of the temple. And then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. So the evidence that this vision is from God will be that uh, what Zechariah saw and was told would happen will actually happen. The temple will be Rebuilt. And it was finished in about 516 uh, B.C. And Zerubbabel was able to finish it. He and Joshua, the high priest, led the people and they worked hard and, and they, they rebuilt it. wasn't as fancy as um, Solomon's temple had been because Judah just didn't have the same kind of wealth in their day as they had in uh, Solomon's time 400 years earlier. Uh, but, it was, uh, but it was sacred, you know, it was beautiful, it was holy, and God was pleased that they had rebuilt it. Um, let's see. The olive trees, two olive trees, one on the right, one on the left of the lampstand, according to verse 11. Uh, Zechariah asks the angel about what they are, what they mean, and he wants to know about the olive branches beside the gold pipes that pour out golden oil. So it sounds like, to me, uh, what Zechariah is seeing in the vision are two olive trees and the olive oil from the trees, which is what they use to... Um, to fuel lamps at that time. Uh, there are conduits coming from the trees directly into the lampstand so that it's constantly feeding oil straight from the trees into the lights there. Um, Zechariah doesn't understand what all this is. He wants to know. And so he's told in verse 14, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. So these are the two God has chosen uh, to be his um, 
the special servants uh, for a specific purpose. And in this case, we're talking about Joshua and Zerubbabel, the uh, high priest and the governor, who have been highlighted uh, up through the book of Zechariah up to this time. So these two, God has chosen and he's empowering them to do this work of rebuilding the temple. So Joshua and Zerubbabel. Okay, does that make sense so far? Chapter 4? It says here, my thing that they had from the olive branch and the 49 pipes into the seven lamps. Can you believe that? Huh. Okay. Hmm. Said, when the two clusters of olives poured off their oil as a symbol of God's Holy Spirit power, okay. which then flowed into the bowl yeah. and through the 49 pipes for the seven Lamps. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, that's pretty intricate. Yeah. A beautiful symbol of God's power uh, that'll be at work in Joshua and Zerubbabel for the rebuilding of the temple. Yeah. Good. Okay. Okay, that's pretty neat. Okay. Anybody else in chapter 4? Okay. Uh, so in chapter 5, Zechariah sees this flying scroll. And again, the, uh, the angel asks, what do you see? And Zechariah answers, and then the angel explains. And so the angel and Zechariah have this dialogue uh, going on. You know, angels understand uh, the limits of human perception and, and uh, uh, comprehension. Um, they, they get that. Angels are not so far removed from humans that they can't communicate with us. They can, and they, and they do, typically, when they appear to people. Uh, and Zechariah is able to have a conversation with, with this angel. Okay, the, the scroll that he sees has to do with a, a curse against thieves and liars, uh, especially people who swear falsely, um, people who are making oaths, maybe in God's name or something, and then breaking them. God's going to punish such people. Uh, this is uh, basically announcing that God's going to purify his people. He's going to work to make them less corrupt, to take away sin from the land, make them holy again. They never did become as holy as he wanted them to be uh, until Jesus. Jesus is the one Jew who got it right, got it entirely right. Others, some others did well, uh, some did not. And then uh, the angel tells Zechariah to look up and see what is appearing in, in chapter 5, verse 5. Zechariah sees a basket and he uh, the... Uh, Angel says, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. So this is the sin of the, uh, the Jews. Uh, and the cover of lead is raised. And there's, Zechariah sees a woman in the basket. Um, before you're offended by a woman representing wickedness here, notice the two women in verse 9. Uh, they are good. They are serving God. Uh, these are uh, perhaps angelic beings. Um, if, if we have any um, angels who appear as women in the Bible, it's, it's right here. I can't think of any others. I don't think there are any others. They typically appear as men. Of course, it was a male-dominated uh, society, so that was to be expected. Um, these two women lift up the basket, and they are taking it away to the country of Babylonia, to uh, the Babylonian homeland, to build a house for it, and they're going to put it there, and Israel's wickedness will be taken far away, left back in Babylonia, which was the land of their punishment. And so the homeland will be free of that guilt. Uh, God is going to purify his people, is, is what he's saying again. And then in chapter 6, 
uh, we get uh, more horses. So red, black, white, and, and uh, dappled. Uh, four different uh, groups of horses pulling four chariots. And Zechariah wants to know what these are in verse 4. And in verse 5, the angel answers and says, These are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. So chariots and horses representing uh, these spirits that God is sending out in the four directions of the earth, north, south, east, west. So the black ones go north, the white ones go west, the uh, dappled ones go south, and I guess the other ones go east. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work to move that microphone around to everybody who's talking. Yeah. I get so interested. I forget to get up and talk. Uh -huh. Someone's talking. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it did amaze me to see that word dappled in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't mentioned of all the horses and descriptions of all the Bible. But dappled's the only place. Yeah. Yeah, dappled horses. That, that's kind of neat, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, uh, uh, they're uh, going throughout the earth. In verse 7, the dappled ones are going south. But the ones that really get our attention are in verse 8. Those going toward the north country, that would be the black horses, have given God's spirit rest in the land of the north. Uh, and so the land of the north from Israel, uh, you go north, you hit um, you know, Damascus, uh, what today is Syria, um, Assyria, or, or Aram. Uh, back in the time of the Old Testament. Uh, the Assyrian Empire conquered all that, but then it was conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and then it was conquered by the Persian Empire. And so uh, the Babylonians, being the ones who conquered Jerusalem and inflicted God's punishment on the Jewish people, they're the ones who are being targeted here. That God's, uh, uh, these spirits sent from God, uh, this one at least, the went north, is giving God's spirit rest in the land of the north. Uh, probably means he's bringing punishment on the Babylonians, which he has done at this point in uh, Judah's history. The Babylonians have been punished by the, uh, through the conquest of their empire by the Persian Empire. So the Persians have taken over the Babylonians. God's spirit has rest because he's seen justice done. The Babylonians went too far, as Zechariah has been told earlier in chapter 1. They went too far in punishing the Jews. Now God has punished the Babylonians, so everything's cool again. Uh, things have sort of settled down a little bit. Justice is being done in God's eyes, and uh, he, is, uh, he is at rest. So, uh, so the angels that we've seen, they've been pretty active. They've done a lot of talking with Zechariah. They've acted out some, some messages, very picturesque, like, uh, like Darlene said. Uh, we've even seen some carrying a basket of wickedness off to Babylonia. Um, we've seen them measuring Jerusalem to see how wide and long it is so they can rebuild it. Uh, we've seen them uh, as horses and chariots going off to see to it that justice is done in the world, and that brings rest to God's spirit. Uh, and so, uh, and so we come to the end of of uh, chapter six. Next time we'll look at uh, a little passage in Zechariah fourteen that's very, very important for the New Testament. So it's going to kind of lead us into the New Testament. Then we'll look at three passages from the Psalms one of which has to do uh, directly with 
uh, something that happens to Jesus and the devil. It involves the devil also, but the background to it is in Psalms. So we'll look at the background there. And then once we've looked at those, we'll be able to get into section 8, uh, where we'll get into the ministry of Jesus and look at angels, demons, powers, the realm of the dead, uh, as Jesus talked about such things and interacted uh, with, uh, with such beings. So that's where we'll be next time. We'll uh, finish up the Old Testament, get into the New. I'm sorry I don't have the Chapter 8 uh, handout prepared for you yet. Short week this week with the Memorial Day holiday, and I was busy taking my son to a Mariners game, so sorry. Uh, I missed you. I, I missed, I missed uh, doing my No, I didn't miss my work that day at all. <laughs> no, I really had a good time. Uh, so I'll have that for you next week, uh, Lord willing, and um, uh, then we'll, we'll get into the New Testament here real quickly. So. Any last thoughts before we close up? You will be putting it on the uh, Zoom thing there where we can do our studying right after right I, I plan to, yeah, once I get chef, uh, the Section 8 materials ready, I'll put those on the website mm-hmm, so you can download them. do it Wednesday morning. <laughs> I won't have time Wednesday morning. It'll have to be Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> I, I hope to have them up by Tuesday afternoon at the latest. So, or Tuesday evening at the latest, yeah. Okay. And if you have any trouble finding those, just uh, text me or call me. I can help you find those. All right. Jerry, would you mind leading us in prayer to close up? Let me get you the... Sherry's got the microphone for you so that uh, Karen can hear you too. Karen, thanks for being with us.